Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a repeat guest hanging out with us today. Drove in from London. Yes, I did. Uh, how was the drive from London? How's the 401? 30 extra minutes than what I thought it was going to be. But Where, yeah, you where, know. Where'd you get the traffic as soon as you hit Mississauga? Mississauga. Kitchener to Mississauga, yeah. Oh, yeah? Jeez. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It wasn't bad in comparison. Sometimes, you know, you get that extra hour. Yeah. So. I used to live in London, actually. I went to Western oh, and so I would come back to Toronto very frequently and majority what, of the to do, time to I took, do your laundry to, no I did my own laundry when to, I get was university. Mom for. to get food what, what'd you come back for no because I had a lot of friends here in Toronto so I would I would go back and forth and see my friends in Toronto and then they would come visit me in London and must be nice having friends what's that <laughs> like someone tell me what that's like I want to know oh poor Mark <laughs> he thinks he has no friends you have me that's enough and my t-shirt literally says friends yeah it does yeah. <laughs> hey yeah. everyone it's Amanda and we're hanging out with Chris today from London and he is a repeat guest. I think that I always refer to you as the MVA guy, but we're not here to talk about MVAs not today. Not today, no, no. Not today. Is that, do a lot of people refer to you as the MVA guy? Just Mark. Oh. <laughs> and me, no, by now, the way. Now, now and then, obviously. I get and and everyone else and on that, Facebook, yeah. I think. Well, okay. You're the yeah, MVA guy. Yeah. I get messages all the time. But that's good because there needs to be somebody who understands this stuff. I mean, even myself, admittedly, because I don't handle a lot of MVAs. When I am faced with somebody, I come to Mark just to clarify, like, am I doing this right? What am I supposed to do? What's the next step? And then so, I message him. And then, yeah, <laughs> you're the MVA guy. So today we're not talking about that. We're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, some definitions and uh, what it means to be an employee versus a self-employed contractor. And this is another area that I think a lot of people get confused about. As I was mentioning to Chris off mic, we teach this in our business course and a lot of people's jaws drop when they realize that they're most likely being misclassified according to what the CRA says and what the law is. So mm-hmm. Chris is going to clarify some of that for us today, right? Hopefully, yep, yep. All right. Well, right thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Should we start with the regular introduction, although he's already been here? I think so. Yeah, well, we got it. Season three, might as well. Yeah. Anyone who has not heard you on before, can you give us a little background, introduce yourself, what you do, who you are, all those things? You can give us the Coles Notes version. Yeah. So I've been at this almost uh, you know, 20 years now, if you include the schooling. Um, then I'm a little bit over. I coach at Western for uh, track and field cross country been in around London area doing massage therapy and obviously now expanding, helping a lot of people and doing a few courses myself here and there down in the South End. Right on. So yeah. Yeah. And I taught for uh, 10 years as well. You taught massage for 10 years? Yep. Where did you teach? Was that uh, in London as well? Yeah. At Darcy Lane, which doesn't oh, okay. exist anymore. Does did they just change the name or is that school uh, completely gone? Bottom. Trias bought them. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So where do we start? Let's start here. You you uh, you got in contact after, well, we did a podcast on the whole MVA thing. And then, I don't know, when did you get in touch with me? Maybe over a month ago or not even maybe a couple weeks ago? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It says, says, hey, can I come back on? I want to talk about this. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. It seems to be like a recurring theme on the uh you know, the pages that were, were on there for Facebook and whatnot, same as the MBA stuff, is like employee versus subcontracted self-employed. So what are the type of stuff you're seeing on Facebook that makes you say, fuck, let me just get on a mic and talk about it? It's definitely the uh, misinformation, misclassifications, and understanding what each of those will actually mean. Mm-hmm. And 
I think like for that background, a lot of people in Ontario just aren't taught adequately. Like I think there's too much, uh, you know, someone's taught by someone who's taught by someone who was taught yep. what they thought they knew. And even there, if there is stuff that was based on accurate information in say the 80s, the 90s, it's not accurate anymore. Can I ask you a question before we get into the definitions then? Is there correct and accurate information out there that's easily accessible. Yes. Let me let me explain <laughs> this. I feel that when I try to find things and find correct information through Service Canada, through CRA, through any of these government websites or even calling customer service at any of these government websites, you can get six different answers to the same question. So is it that people are being given wrong information or is it that the information's there and people are not looking for it? It's a it's a bit of everything, I uh, think. Well can say same. Yeah. It's, I think both. I think stuff is pretty easy to find online. I think there's I can't remember where I read this. Uh there was a, a massive study done with uh, phone services at CRA, and I think it was about 30% of all of the phone inquiries were actually incorrect. Yes, and that's what I mean is that I know I know that information that you can call, because if you call Service Canada or you call CRA, these are people who went through a nine-week training program to answer customer service inquiries. They're not actually... 100% knowledgeable on everything, and they've also been trained if there is a question that kind of goes beyond their scope to beat around the bush to not give direct information so mm. it, it's difficult but I think. a lot of but the I, stuff the, is easy to find online yes i was gonna say i think the information is probably better online if you know what you're looking for and you know how to search for it yeah so let's go with the first one there the the document that overshadows everything else is rc4110 rc4110 that's from the cra gives your definitions mm -hmm. of how to figure out are you employed or are you self-employed right it's essentially like a litmus test for that it gives you information to see like essentially who has most control mm -hmm. to determine are you an employee today or are you really self-employed right and one of the things in there is that every other province has to follow that right so anything that comes in if you look under esa and there's some information there it's going to come from the rc 4110 mm -hmm. it's not going to come from any other place they're the ones that decide it so that above everything else if you have if you have rc 4110 like called up on your you know computer like i do um <laughs> you're gonna have that information <laughs> <Bookmarked>. available <laughs> so okay so then that's pretty simple for everybody to figure out wh where they're classified as i know that when we talk about this in our course one thing that we we tell the the therapist it's usually massage therapists that take the course is that you know what does your contract say and how is that lined up and there seems to be a problem in our industry where there are many people working as subcontractors i'm doing air quotes that don't actually have a written contract. Absolutely. And some of the written contracts, too, are actually defining the person as an employee. And there's that misclassification yep. thing mm -hmm. where too many of your like rights have been stripped away from you to classify yourself employed. You're supposed to have control over your business. Right. But that's been taken away. You're told, oh, yeah, this is standard. We've been using it for like decades. Like it doesn't matter. It's not right. And of course, the problem with that, it's been used for decades. If it hasn't been challenged in court and it hasn't been proven to be wrong, they'll keep using it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are going to do whatever they want to do until somebody tells them not to do it. I actually once got that advice from an accountant. I can't remember what his wording was, but basically do whatever the hell you want until somebody tells you you can't do it. That's how I live life. That is how you live life. Yeah. And I don't even mind getting slapped on the wrist three, four, five times. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of breaking some rules. You're a rebel. Probably shouldn't say that on mic. <laughs> 
kidding, kidding. My name's Chris. <laughs> so should we should we set forth some simple def- definitions then? Like, yeah, let's start there. Yeah, let's define this. What what do you mean when you say control? Like, how would you be classified as a self-employed person? What types of things do you need to have control over? That's gonna yeah, it's gonna depend on. Uh, like the individual set up the contract, right? But the, the control factors are ours, mm-hmm. your equipment, mm-hmm. your ability to like sub out your own mm-hmm. subcontract, mm-hmm. Um, like having a key to the place, like right, right there. If you don't have a key to the place, the CRA, ESA, like whoever you're talking to is going to tell you, you don't own your business because you can't access your site with your own mm-hmm. key, right? Like you guys have a suite here. You have a key. To access the suite, you have a key to access the outer door. Right. If you had just a key for the suite and not the outer door, like you aren't being given the full access to your rental. Right. So it's the same kind of thing. Like if you have a room in a chiro clinic, physio clinic, whatever, you can't get in there. It's not your business. It's someone else's business that you're accessing on their hours. So let me let me talk to you about a couple of the points you made there, because I had a situation with my very one of my very first jobs. Actually, the contract I signed, it was it was a good contract. It was well written. There was nothing in there that was incorrect. And it did define me as a subcontractor. I had keys. You know, I in according to the contract, I had exclusive use of this, you know, defined space from it was six days a week. The reason I didn't have um use of it on the seventh day was the cleaners came into the building and cleaned the building. So it was like six days a week, you have this room. Day seven, it's being cleaned. Although they didn't really care if I came in and did work. It was just the cleaners are there. Okay. So the contract was fine. The problem came, which after I signed the contract, then the owner of the business started saying things to me like, I need you to come into work for 730 because my patients arrive at 730. So I need a massage therapist here at 730. I said, well, that doesn't make any sense because I'm supposed to just have use of this. I'm just renting the space. You know, I should be able to come in and work whatever hours I want. But she said, no, I want you here at 730. And then um, other stipulations started to be put on me. So like when I wasn't using the room, she started saying to me, well, can somebody else use the room? But it's my room that I'm paying for. All of my stuff is in there. I've furnished it. And then about um, subletting the space, I was going on a maternity leave. And so I brought in a locum. In the contract, it said the locum had to meet with her. That's fair. She owns the business. I had no issue with that. Absolutely. So she approved the person I brought in. When I wanted to come back from the maternity leave, I wanted to come back on the terms that I was going to come back part time, keep my locum on. So I would, you know, collect a certain percentage from her. And all of that then would go, you know, part of it would go towards paying my rent to the clinic owner. Well, when I came back, she said, well, if both of you are going to be on then, then I should be making money off of both of you. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, a lot of stuff right there. <laughs> so first and foremost, obviously, you have a contract. Yes. So you then deviate from that contract thereafter. That's negotiable terms. Like they should be coming to you and asking, requesting, not mm, telling. Yeah. They tell you, I need you at this time. Okay, no. That's now you talking to your employee that's you're changing the classification mm-hmm. if it's a subcontract you're going to say you know what would really work out well 7 30 a lot more people come in i think you'd do really well with your business if you were to do that right but they can't force it mm-hmm. right after the fact right um and i say that because I've, I've even worked this into contracts for others where at the time of negotiation you define what are going to be my hours mm-hmm. so both the company that is contracting and the individual subcontracting know what's happening and they've got an agreed upon like, you know, schedule. Great. You've both agreed on it. You've 
signed off on it, that was your control over your hours. Mm-hmm. If your hours are changed thereafter and you're told them, that's no longer control. Yeah. You're, you're now in a situation where you're more like an employee. And I mean, when I say this, I say, you know, she was telling me, I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. She couldn't tell me when to work. I ended up agreeing to mm-hmm. it because I, I did agree that, yes, 730 probably would make me more money because you've got a bunch of patients here. But it was presented in such a way that it was like, well, I need you here at 730 because my patients are here at 730. And that kind of put a, a bad taste in my mouth because I said, well, yeah. I, you know, I signed a contract with you saying I can set my hours. I can set my days. This room is mine exclusively Absolutely. and I can to do what I want with it. And I think that comes down to, you know, us being taught improperly in those like really short business classes, especially any of us who went to vocational school, mm-hmm. that you're not given uh, essentially empowerment to to know that you're in the right, they're in the wrong. You're approached by this person who essentially is quote unquote letting you be there. And more often than not, people just succumb to it. They say, yeah, no, I'll do exactly what you want because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to lose their job because again, there's another common theme. RMTs are always worried that they're going to do something to piss off the like other person and they're going to lose their job. Mm-hmm. But you have a contract yeah, and the contract defines what's going on. Do you think that fear of saying anything comes from not knowing or comes from a fear of like, fuck, I really want this job? It's probably both. Yeah. 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 Well, and also let's say that I had gotten confrontational with her. Okay. I mean, at, at the end of the day, everybody knows because I've talked about it numerous times that my relationship with her did have to end because we could never come to an agreement. We renegotiated my contract over many times over years and we couldn't come to an agreement. And personally, we're friends. We couldn't work together. And it, it, I think that people have this fear of even if you do confront the business owner and say, no, you're wrong here, then has it made an awkward working environment? Is the business owner mature enough to separate business and personal feelings? You know, and I think that's a fear. That was definitely a fear I had that is if I I was too confrontational with her, then we wouldn't be able to work together, which is eventually what happened. You know, like we went back and forth and it got to a point where I said, this isn't working because you're you're taking it personally, what I'm saying to you. And I think that people are afraid of that, making an awkward and uncomfortable work environment. Exactly. And that like definition of having someone who's a friend and being friendly and having someone who's a coworker or someone who's like got the master contract and being friendly mm-hmm. like it's very difficult to mesh those two together like mm-hmm. you, you have to keep business business personal personal we we all know this in theory but it's not always practiced right she's greedy and the subletting thing as i said you know based on the contract i originally had it seemed very clear to me that when I came back, I could still work part-time, keep my locum. You know, as long as she's getting paid her rent and she had already approved this locum, I didn't see any issue with me only coming back two and a half days a week because I have a baby at home now, right? And then it was, well, if there's going to be two of you working in there, then I should be collecting rent from both of you. And I thought, um... And unfortunately, we see that as the the dollar signs light up in the eyes where you're renting the space. You're like, you have it for 24 hours a day, however you want to use it. Right. So just because someone else came in under you and is, you know, in essence, uh, working with you to pay that rent, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be seen as, you know, capacity to come in and say, well, you know what? You guys can now do a lot more hours so you can pay me And that's what she saw. The space is the space. Like, essentially, can you imagine like in, in that case, right? Whether it's like an RMT owning it, a Cairo, physio, whatever, and they've got their space. And they're renting it at a at a unit. They're, you know, the landlord comes in and says, you know what? I see you've got a lot more people working here. 
I want to raise your rent now. This was my argument always. This was my argument always. And I kept saying to her, tell me what your space is worth. And that's what I will pay. You know, and in the years I was working there, she hadn't increased my rent. So I said, it's fair to give me a rent increase. I'm not arguing that. We, you know, we have to renegotiate. I will accept a fair increase. But what she essentially was doing afterwards is her calculation became, well, if both of you are working and she's working X number of hours and you're working X number of hours, you guys have the potential to make this. If I take 30% of that, I was like, whoa, wait, wait, whoa. What since when are we working off a split? So yeah, basically, my my rent was going to go up. Oh, something ridiculous! It was something like eight hundred dollars a month. She wanted to increase it, and some people only pay eight hundred dollars a month in rent. You know, she wanted to increase me eight hundred dollars a month because now I had the potential to make so much more money having a second person working with me. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I mean, the negotiations went nowhere because I use that exact thing. I said. Can you imagine you as a, you know, as a practitioner, you rent this entire building. Can you imagine your landlord coming in and saying, I see you're getting really busy and you're making a lot more money. And if I calculate 30% of your earnings, that's how I'm going to determine your rent. Like That's insane. What is the space worth? Tell me what the space is worth. I will pay that. Yeah. And all the spaces are rented like on a like per square foot per year, not what are you putting in here? Exactly. Like, oh, you said restaurant. Um, I didn't know McDonald's. And that makes a lot of money. So actually, I want to raise your rent. Right. They, they can't do that. Yeah. So, but but this happens all the time in our profession that, you know, the, the subcontractor, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're doing better than I thought. So how about <laughs> we, we charge you more or, or take more? And, you know, the, the thing with adding the other person on while I'm thinking, um, like I've seen this many a time in London where someone's working f- like under someone they've got their their rent and it's like that subtle like you know change up where they come in and they're like oh so now that there's two of you and, and you're doing really well how how about instead of just you know splitting the rent with them you just do your own so instead of 800 in total I'm gonna rent to you for 500 and them for 500 so it's much easier on you mm-hmm. uh, yeah so all of a sudden they've increased by 200 mm-hmm. making it easier on the one individual so they oh, don't but have to then putting to but then putting those individuals in competition because she exactly. had suggested that to me and I said that's not what I want I brought this person in as my locum to help me carry my client load not for us to then be concerned about where the clients are being booked because now we're both responsible for our own portion of the rent because she had suggested that she would decrease my rent. Here's the funniest part by only $200 a month. She would decrease me 200 and charge her the same. So she was going to be making an increase of 1200 a month. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and N- then, Nice and subtle. Right. And then we're in competition with you. But she never saw it that way. She said, no, you guys work well together. Said, yeah, we do. But You think she didn't see it that way? Of course she saw it that way. She just saw dollars, though. Well, yeah. I know that. She did see it that way. But I'm saying the, the negotiation process went exactly as Chris and I are doing. You know, he's pointing, mm. pointing something out that to us seems very obvious. And that was the argument I would give her. And and she would come back at me with, no, it's so much easier for you. You'll pay less. You'll pay. You don't distress. And and then it turned into this Healthy whole. Healthy competition oh. will help you will help yours and her business. But as we know, it's the two of you helping the one business. Right. And all I was saying to her other. was, let us keep the structure we had. You will still make your money every month and you will have therapists here 
all the time for your patients. You know, with two of us, we can cover more hours and, you know, it's still going to benefit your business. But she didn't see that because the bottom line was, how can I make more money? So eventually, I actually washed my hands, said, I'm, you know, I, I can't come back. I can't do this. And she came back to me with, what if I just had both of you work here on a split basis? Yeah. From rent to split. Yeah. I know most people want to go split to rent. Right. And I did it actually for a year because I had a baby and I knew I wasn't getting anywhere with her and my practice was busy as hell there. So I said, okay, I will come back. And then after a year, I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy. You know, I used to have complete control and now, and when we went to the split, you're right, there was almost zero control left. It was... I work this time to this time. I wasn't booking my own people. I couldn't block off spots whenever I wanted to if I had an appointment. It, there was zero control left. So Well, and, and you bring that in there. There's another aspect, the, the control of the money, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's another big one. Like as far as CRA is concerned, everything's money, right? Right. So who's who's got control of the money? Where's the money funneling through? And if you haven't defined it in the contract, right, and the money funnels through the business fully, they have control over it and you only get given your your paycheck, quote unquote, mm-hmm. when you get it once a month, twice a month. And you don't have capacity to come in and say, listen, I really need to access my money right now. Can you cut me $200? They're supposed to be able to because that's your control that's factor. That's your, yeah. Right? But like, you know, most people don't, don't do that. They just let it funnel through the business. Mm-hmm. They let the business control it all. And if they ever got to a point where they're feeling like, you know, oh man, I'm going to be behind. I got like... A payment coming up. I didn't make as much as I thought I would last time, and I I'm I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you should be able to approach and say, "You're holding my money for me. I need access to it today because I got this coming out. Can you cut me a two hundred, which will come off the next uh, check? It should be a no brainer. That's true. It's I mean, at the end of the day, it's your money, and if you're self employed, you mm. should be able to have your money whenever you need it. Exactly. It now, shouldn't on, be controlled by them. Yeah, and and like on the other end there, like if you're kind of like signing over a little bit of that control so that you don't have to do the daily accounting. You don't have to go through the machine, all this stuff. Great. Right. And you, and one of the things you've done is I'm going to just have two checks a month to deposit and you're happy with that. Great. But if you're in a pickle and you need that and you're self-employed, you should be able to access it. For sure. Mm -hmm. Let's look at some of the things that CRA does to obtain the information or to figure out if you are self-employed or not, right? So one of the first things that they look at is the level of control the payer has over the worker's activities. Correct. Mm -hmm. Cool. Another thing that they're looking at is whether the worker provides the tools and equipment to do their job. Whether the worker can subcontract the work or hire assistance, the degree of financial risk the worker takes, the degree of responsibility for investment and management the worker holds, the worker's opportunity for profit, and then anything else relevant that happens in a contract. I'm laughing because I'm thinking about uh, the equipment. I went for an interview. So when I decided that I was going to leave that place, so now I've got a child. So I'm thinking, okay, let me find a clinic close by. Uh, At this point, I didn't care, you know, if I was going to work off a split or if I was going to rent, whatever was going to make the most sense for me. I wanted something relatively close to home and where I can work with other people and just a good environment, right? At this point, I wasn't being too picky. So I went on, I went on a few interviews and this one place I went to, it was owned by a chiropractor. And he said to me, um, I provide, I can't remember, he provided a certain amount. He said, but you have to bring your own linens. And I said, okay. 
And he said, you have to bring your own linens because if I provide all the equipment, then you're my employee. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not wrong. It's not right. Exactly. It's how you're going to define it again in yeah. your contract. Right. So, so in essence, I'm, I'm going to put this one down that I, I've done contracts for a few people where the, the least amount of pages I do now is 12. Right. Because we want to cover so many bases. And one of those in the clauses is that, yeah, you're supplying it as the business, but you have it listed in there that it's actually being rented as part of part of the rental. So therefore, now that control comes back. It's like it's not that it's being supplied for you. It's being rented to you. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it changes that parameter of supply versus you're paying for it. Mm -hmm. And like with the percentage thing and whatnot, like a lot of times it's just defined, right? 30, 70 or 60, 40. Right. But what does that 40 cover? What does that 30 cover? That's left undefined. It's in their head. Oh, it's covering it like paying for your paper, your files, your, your like whatever. But when it's left undefined at the end of the day, it really muddies the water between that employment, self-employment thing Mm -hmm. because it's not there. So do you think that the majority of clinic owners that are operating in a way where they have uh, someone come in and they are self-employed, they are a contractor or however you want to term it, do you think most of these clinic owners have no idea or they know very fucking well that I'm bringing you in as a contractor, but because I'm doing this for the ease of me and my accounting and everything else, but I'm really going to treat you as an employee. Or do you think they have no fucking idea? I think it's more the uh, no fucking idea. Yeah, for yeah. real. Because like it, in, in reality, just like us, mm-hmm. it's been passed down, right? From one generation to the next. Of, of, this is just how it's done. Yep. Right. So if you've got these uh, people working under you, kinesiologist, RMT, uh, acupuncturist, whatever, they're all told, yeah, this, this is what we've been doing for 20 years. Yep. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to continue doing that because that's the way it's done. And they don't question it. And then you get in with accountants who don't understand um, subcontractors versus working with just someone with their T4. Mm-hmm. Right. So they don't understand all this stuff. And they're like, oh, you've got a contract. Well, they must be self-employed. That's not what does it. As you see in that um, document, the you know the RC forty one ten, is that it doesn't matter what the contract says. It matters what is actual. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. can say, you know, in it that everyone agrees that so and so is a subcontractor. They're not employed, but it doesn't matter if that's not how they're treated. Right. The CRA will come back and say no. That's employment. Yeah, because I've heard many stories of clinic owners that are getting fucking dinged on that. They're, they're being said to have employees where they're like, no, our contract says you're 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 self-employed. And, and a lot of absolutely. clinic owners are now switching to um, having employees. And well, for that reason, there's a whole other move, too, because I've heard I've, I've in our business course, I've had a whole bunch of people come in and say, hey, the chiropractor says that he wants me to be incorporated. Right, yeah. Right? And they won't touch me unless, I, they won't have me in unless I have a corporation. I have a professional corporation to show that it is a business-to-business relationship. That's another thing that's being uh, mm-hmm. shoveled around a lot now. And a lot of physios can do that. They, they have the capacity to do it. They've got the funding to do it. RMTs don't. No. And it sounds like it's just they've heard from someone who heard from someone that this is just how you got to do it? Yeah, and it's not yeah. It all it always it always came in the story. This is what uh, the uh, the Cairo, the physio, whoever the owner is. This is what my accountant said needs to happen here. And this is also the advice you get in our you know two second business course in massage school is talk to somebody who's run a business, talk to your peers, like accountants, lawyers. Everybody gives you that advice. Like talk to other people in the industry. When as Chris is saying, well, who are you talking to in the industry? Where did they get this information from? And are we all just spreading misinformation to? 
to each other. It's just like looking up research. If you're not taking it from a good source, it's yeah. worthless. Yeah. So if you're going to someone who owns a business and you're asking them things and they're wrong as hell, you're going to be wrong as hell. Yeah. And I don't think people care. You know, if you get uh, if you get in trouble for doing something, nobody cares if you say, well, so and so told me, <laughs> well, why did you do it? <laughs> why do you believe so and so when they tell you something? Well, exactly. And like one of those things comes to mind when you're when you're saying these things about like, you know, oh, I just heard from this account. This, uh, those business network uh, com- like just congregations, mm. the networking things, like a business owner will go to it, come back and say, oh, guess what I was just told? And like, well, <laughs> great, but you were talking to someone who owns a retail shop. This is a medical yep. facility with subcontractors. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. But they bring it back thinking they just heard the greatest gold ever. They're going <laughs> to apply it. And, and this is how we're going to run the business now. But it doesn't actually apply. Like you can't take someone who's like, you know, selling trinkets out of like a mom and pop shop and then apply it to your medical uh, company. It, it just doesn't work. Yeah. But that happens way too often. And it's, again, because they were told it by other business owners. And even though you're a subcontract business and a business owner, you're not looked at at the same level. Right. right? So it's brought in. This is what we're going to do now. And it, like when you push back even and say, no, it's not right. They're like, well, I was told it at my group. <laughs> like, mm. Well, somebody told me so. So that's the way it goes. There's issues on both sides of it with both the um, the clinic owners and with the subcontractors. So I've heard things like uh, clinic owners will bring in, you know, therapists, whether chiropractors, physios, whoever, bring people in as a subcontractor, and then that subcontractor is suddenly expecting the clinic owner to do their advertising to, you know, fill up their practice. Well, no, if you're a business owner, if you want to be self-employed, and you're going to be working, then you have to operate your business, right? So that's an issue is, you know, I think a lot of clinic owners feel like, well, if I'm doing all this work for you, then, then I think they you know, some of them would have done it anyway, but I think sometimes the response is then to start trying to have more control over the therapists who come in. You know, like if you want me to do all this stuff for you, then you need to do stuff for me. Yeah, it becomes that tricky like animosity. Yeah. Thing where like builds up, you know, like small amounts up to like small, like small to big amounts of like animosity that builds and then throw them back. And that's where obviously, you know, good relationships go sour. But I am, I'm glad you're, you're bringing to that one because it, it should be tempered on both sides, right? Like mm-hmm. that the clinic owners, um, you know, a lot of them are therapists like us. And when yeah. we're saying they've gotten misinformation, we need to, to understand that that puts them in the same boat as the subcontractor who's gotten Absolutely. misinformation. So when you, when you bring in that therapist who, let, in all reality, let's say they've been told in their business course, go work for a chiro, go work for a physio just you get in there and you just work because they're going to bring it in and that's what you expect. So you come in and you're like, you know, then you're asked, Hey, so we're subcontracting. Um, what would be good is you go to some businesses, introduce yourself and that. And they're like, uh, but I thought you were bringing people in. Yeah. Well, no, you're a business. Get your ass out there, hit the streets and start. You're responsible for around, your right? own practice. Yeah, like yeah. this is who I am. This is where I am. These are going to be my hours. I would really like to work with you. And start bringing it in. Mm-hmm. You don't just rely. Like when you've got that time and there's another one. It's like you're supposed to be there. You've said on your schedule you're going to be there eight till five, but you're not booked eight till five. You could go home, say, for like a four hour lunch or you could take advantage of that four hours, go have a little lunch and then go meet 
other people around the community. Yeah. And that can be getting that lead with a doctor, get your name in there with a dentist, with like other businesses around, go yep. to, go to like the real estate agent. They've got lots of people there who are definitely stressed and, you know, love to come see us, but they got to yeah. know where we are. Yeah, so definitely. get out there and, and don't just rely on the, the business that you're subcontracting from to do the work. Because again, under those rules, your control of your business, you should be the one getting out there. Absolutely. Right? And I, I know I just heard somewhere, I think on another podcast, someone said, you know, as a reminder, don't know who needs to hear this, but your slow time is not the time to be lazy. It's not like, oh, I have no clients now. I'm going to go take a four hour lunch. I'm going to put my feet up. The slow time is your opportunity to make plans and figure out what you're going to do and do some marketing and do some networking. And that's how you grow your business. It's not just that you come into a clinic, put your feet up when you have no clients and work when the clients magically appear at your door. Yeah. Like take that, that downtime, even get on Instagram, put it up there. I've got these hours today and I've got two more openings. Anyone mm -hmm. want in? I got two openings three days from now, like throw it on there instead of just sitting there doing nothing. And then being upset that the clinic that you work for, which you don't work for because you're self-employed, exactly. isn't busy enough and isn't bringing you enough clients, right? It's not, if you're going to be self-employed, you got to take that responsibility too. So it's not, it's not all on the clinic owners and clinic owners though. Also, when you're bringing people in as subcontractors, you have to give them the empowerment like you're talking about and give them control over their own practice. So, you know, if they want to only work work three days a week and you know you're renting a space to them if they're paying your rent why do you care so much if they're not there during you know why is this such a big deal yeah make your rent that's it that's all whether you the subcontractor are making ten thousand this month or you're just making enough to cover the rent uh the business got their rent that's all that they really need to worry about yeah, yeah they don't need to push people to come see you um for them to to have like their own patients or whatever and say yeah, you know, uh, you could go and benefit from having massage and this in combination. Great, but that's not an obligation. Yeah. And in all reality, as, again, medical professionals, we know that we can't really be telling everybody to get the same thing because not everybody requires the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we can't expect that other, like, medical professional to send everyone to us because they may not have something that is presenting something that we should do, uh, be taking care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The last clinic I worked at was really good in terms of um, just letting the therapists run their own business the way they wanted to. So it was all a rent base. And she supplied, the clinic owner supplied pretty much everything. You know, the tables were there, the but it was all part of what we paid for, right? As you said, it was defined as we're not just renting the space. Because I had heard a lot of therapists there um, feel that her rent was a little too high. I didn't feel it was high. I felt it was actually quite fair because I looked at everything that we were getting. We had uh, receptionists. We had a point of sale machine that all of us could use, but we had access to our money immediately because we all had our own code. So the money went into our own accounts, right? and then we paid our rent yeah. the first of every month kind of thing. Um, but we had complete control. Every therapist there could set their own hours, their own days. You, you did what you wanted. And at you know the first of every month, you pay your rent to the clinic owner and she provided everything except for lotions, oils, any of those things. Whatever you chose to use, you had to bring in your own. But it was, uh, it was a nice setup. I felt very free there. <laughs> I like feeling free. I like this. This is why. So like, what was, I'm hearing is like RMTs suck at this shit. <laughs> neither one of us said any of those words, well, by the way. I, I really? <laughs> I wouldn't say that directly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's what I'm saying. Again, it all comes back to that inadequacy part. Like just 
it, it's you're trying you really are but you you may have been given misinformation you may have been like led down a, a bad uh, path like i know like my business course when when i took it um definitely did not set me up to to know what i was doing right so i did get into a situation at the beginning where i was misclassified and i should have been mm-hmm. an employee because i i was being told to do everything i was told when my hours were i was told like you know where i should be going and whatnot because like we get we get these situations too where we're going to say in that uh that ownership thing where you're you're in and then you're told we have this show this show and this show and we expect you to do um one shift at each of them it's like uh but ex- expected you're you're being told dictated to you're not asked hey would you like to participate mm-hmm. no you're being told to do it and then we we throw in that idea of like well i got to make sure that you're still self employed so i'm going to charge you uh you know 20% of the cost of us running this show and, and you don't have choice whether you're going to pay it or not you just are mm-hmm. like mm. you know and th- those things happen um but it it all stems from the misinformation that we've gotten so for example, when like so when I went from from Darcy, I, I wrote the the initial program for uh, Fanshawe that they're you know started with, and one of the things I wanted was a better business course. So what I did was I didn't have it set up to be run by an RMT. I'm like take it from the already business programs and have someone who knows how to run a business talk about it because right. business in Ontario is a business in Ontario is a business in Ontario, right? Like it's just the way it's run. How we do things from our medical field that we get in, from the rest of our classes, mm-hmm. but how to run an actual business because I don't know about you guys, but my the biggest thing in my business program was write a business plan mm-hmm. and we're given a simple outline just a printout of how to do it and left our own uh, devices and l- let's let's face it your instructor's not really reading it that's exactly no. what i was just thinking i don't know that <laughs> and even any, if they were reading i don't know it, that any they, of them they won't be able it. to evaluate it yeah. properly anyway so what's the fucking point so rmt suck at this shit once again neither of us said that his name is Mark. Yeah, you Mark heard it from his mouth. <laughs> why Why do you think most RMTs just don't go at it on their own then? It comes to that, like to, to learn it? Or to just, or, just to like be like, hey, I want to just do, if you want to do your own thing, you want to be an independent contractor, you want to work for yourself, you want to be self-employed, then why not just most of the time just go at it? I know full the answer on. to that. Mm-hmm. What's well, the there's, answer? There's three Tell parts. Me the, answer. The, Tell first, me the, answer. the first part is not everybody is Captain Jack and not everybody can be an entrepreneur. We discussed this already. Right. There ah. are certain certain people who have an entrepreneurial mind. And so, for example, you take Mark and I, we are both technically self-employed, but we are a self-employed team. Mark is the entrepreneur. Mark's the guy with the ideas. I'm the voice of reason on his shoulder telling him when he's being really fucking stupid. I'm never fucking stupid. So many times. But he's the guy, he's the reason that we have this business, you know, because he's the guy that is not employable. He's the guy that needs to be in charge and do his own thing. I could be an RMT as a subcontractor renting space somewhere and probably be perfectly happy, although I'm, you know, much happier in what we're doing now. But I mean, like, not everybody has that entrepreneurial drive and the ability to do everything on their own. That's number one. There's people who just like to just go to work and do what they got to do. And so when you said, why, you know, if you want to be a subcontractor and have control, why not just go out on your own? There's a difference. Being a subcontractor, like the clinic I used to work at, Mm -hmm. I had control in the sense that I had control over my hours. I had control on how many clients I saw in a day. I had control when I worked. I had control when I took vacation. Those kind of things I really enjoyed. 
but I didn't have to worry about the daily operations of the clinic. I wasn't doing the accounting. I wasn't do that. None of that was my responsibility. Do you see the difference there between being an entrepreneur and running it? Exactly. So why doesn't everybody do it? Because not everybody's you, Captain Jack. That's why. Why do you keep calling me Captain Jack? I can't help it now. Once once, uh, Rachel compared entrepreneurs to Captain Jack Sparrow, that's it. Mark is Captain Jack. Now, do you use the the 80-20 rule? With uh, 80% of people should be employees and 20% should be managers. <laughs> I was going to say, when you say 80-20 rule, do you know how many 80-20 rules there yeah. are in the world? I know, right? I think I think, I think 80% of the rules are 80-20 rules Correct. and 20% are something go. else. Yeah. No, yeah, we were just talking about this the other day. Some people are great number ones and some people are great number twos. Yep. And someone that's a true entrepreneur needs a number one, needs a number two. Well, exactly. Absolutely. Like I said, I, I am both the number one and the number two for you. But me operating this on my own, probably wouldn't happen. Not because I couldn't do it, but I don't think that our brains work the same. So for example, you always talk about how I'm good at turning off business. You know, when we go home and we're with our kids, I want to be home and I want to be with my kids. And that's where my focus is. Mark's brain is always 20% here or 20% there. I can't, I, I can't decide where he's 80%, but he's always in work mode in some way, right? Because this is his this he's an entrepreneur. This is his his life. This is part of his identity. Whereas me, when I go home, like sorry, it's kid time. Somebody sends me an email at like eleven p.m. I'm like, well, they'll get an answer at seven thirty. Somebody sends him an email at eleven p.m. They'll hear back from him at eleven oh seven. Oh four. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I work a bit that way too. I, I've told people, you know, have your hour shut down nine at night. You're not going to answer anything else. That's now your time. You're never going to answer it again until eight in the morning. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't do that. If I'm up at one, something comes in. Yeah, I'm, I'm on there at one. Well, that's the thing. And that's how he works. And that's totally fine. And I think this is why we can work well together. You know, like we can't both be on and in business mode all the time. You know, we kind of divide and conquer. When I'm here, mm-hmm. I'm here and I'm focused here. When I'm at home, I'm at home and I'm focused at home. And Mark's sort of always making sure that the business keeps spinning. Mm-hmm. And I think like with that, like probably the same idea, like, even though you're you're at one, two in the morning and, and answering stuff, you're not stressed about it. You're not hating life about it. This is this what no. you love to do. So you just do it. You exactly. enjoy the process. Some people have to shut down because that's going to put stress on them and mm. things are just going to go downhill. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you got to have that balance and, and know your own personality for it yeah. to actually work it. Yeah. Right. So, but, but like, you know, going back, <laughs> the idea of like, why do people don't want to do that or want to do this and i think again like i'm not sure how it's done now but like i kind of was told when i was in school that the be all end all was to be self-employed you didn't want to be working for someone you Mm. want to be working with someone so no matter what you do you want your contracts or just your you know handshake to say you're self-employed otherwise you're a failure if you weren't self-employed, you were a failure. And this is where like when the chain started coming in and offering employment, like I saw so many people like just up in arms about it because like we can't be employees. Mm. We should be self-employed. That's, right, that's right, how right. we know we succeeded. That's true. The chain's got a lot of hate in the beginning. They still do get some hate, but in Maybe. the beginning, myself included, I the this college I used to work for used to bring them in, probably still does, like bring them in because they would hire new grads, right? And I remember speaking to a friend who still worked at the college and I'm like, ugh, why? Why are you devaluing us? Why are you doing that? I mean, that was my 10 year ago attitude, but- What is it now? You know, I think there's, 
there are people who will be attracted to the chains because those are the people that want to be employees. Those are the people who want zero responsibility, who want to be told what to do, who want to show up, do their job, get a paycheck, get benefits. Do you think and, Do you think there are more RMTs that are like that? That's, that's hard not, to say. I don't know. Your opinion. My opinion is there's From probably, the ones that you know then. From the ones that I know, I mean, my personal RMT friends all want to be self-employed, but mm. I think I attract a certain type of person as my friend. And maybe that's why, I don't know. But majority of RMTs that I'm close with, they want to be self-employed. But then I've spoken to people who work in the chains and there are a lot of good things about working for a massage addict. One being, again, that you don't have a huge amount of responsibility and can have a full schedule and make a decent amount of money and go home and that's it. I'm home. I'm not bringing work home with me. So if you're that type of person, why wouldn't you go for that? Yeah. And, you know, we we look at... uh when people enter the profession, so say you're going to go work at home and you're succeeding in life because you're self-employed, but you're only seeing three people in a week because, well, it's in your home and you're trying to build your business. Um, are you succeeding when you've got three times $90 or, you know, selling out, quote unquote, going to a chain and working like 25, 30 hours a week mm-hmm. and making like tons more than that, even though you're hourly is lower. Exactly. But again, you're showing up, you're working, everything's supplied, you do your notes, get out. Yep. Right? The marketing is done, this and that, and the others. And when you do go to to like trade shows and stuff, they pay you because it's part of like your hours working with Right, them. because you're an employee. So you get paid yeah. for everything. Absolutely. And I've known a few people who, you know, taught under the old way of like, you're successful if you're self-employed, who are now working there and they, they're loving it because they realized they were not the entrepreneurial type. They shouldn't have been running their own business. Yeah. They were the ones who just wanted to show up. If there's nothing to do, I'm on break. I don't actually want to market myself. I don't want to do this, that, the other. Right? So it works for them. But they didn't realize it was going to work for them because they were told success meant self-employment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely got the the benefits being existing there. And, you know, ties in well with the employee versus self-employed that, like, it shouldn't always be the goal to look at self-employment. You need to look at the the gives and takes. What are you at the end of the week getting out yeah. of it? What is the benefit to you? What are what are you losing? You need to know yourself, know what type of therapist you are, know what type of environment you want to work in and know what your priorities are. So again, like I said, when I went back to work after having my first child, my priority wasn't to be the self-employed person and do all my own mark. You know, that was my my previous life and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. But I worked 12 to 15 hours a day because I had to, because I worked for myself. So going and renting a space in a clinic where technically I was still, in quotes, self-employed, but I didn't have to do as much, right? Because this was a well-established clinic and I could just sort of have the flexibility of being self-employed without actually being self-employed. You know what I mean? And it was, it worked for me. Now, what we're doing now, I love it. I mean, I work 7,000 times more than I did when I worked at that other clinic, but it's a different phase. My kids are a little bit older. I can be out of the house a little bit more. And I like this this pace of mm. being self-employed. But again, I'm not doing what you're doing, Mark. I'm just your number one because I don't want to be your number two. <laughs> you look like you have something to say over there. No, no, Spitting no. in your chair. Oh, no. If we're talking about the employee stuff now, like um, ESA, Employment Standards Act, got it called up here. And being an employee as an RMT it's not the same as being an employee anywhere else, right? As medical professionals, there is actually a variance under the ESA. So 
up on here like a few things. You are not entitled to minimum wage, daily and weekly limits on hours of work, daily rest periods, time off between shifts, weekly by weekly rest periods, eating periods, overtime pay, sick leave, family responsibility leave, all that, public holidays, public pay, and vacation with pay. Mm. Now, when we look at that, people are thinking, oh man, I'm giving up a lot. But when you compare what is the actual minimum wage versus what is the minimum an RMT makes? And what is the minimum, and, and goes with the other professions, what's the minimum that a emergency service uh, person makes? What is the minimum that a nurse makes, a, a doctor? They're, they're not comparable. Right. They're, they don't need the help, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And as a medical professional, if you're going to be recognized, you're not supposed to be limiting your capacity to be accessed by people who need your help. So if you want to work on a holiday, you work on a holiday. If you, you know, want to change up uh, hours outside of regular, you can. If you want to work through your break, you know, you can. Mm-hmm. Now, like Dennis are a good one for for that, where they just work, 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 and yeah, their assistant needs a break, ESA, but they just keep going because they don't see reason to stop. Right. So another person comes in, helps them out. They just keep going because. That's what they want. That's what they're doing to get the most for their patients. And the same can be done with us. Like you want to keep working all day long without a break. That's up to you. Mm -hmm. But if it was covered by the ESA that you have to have a break, you'd be told, no, you want, you want to work six to eight hours straight back to back. No, no, no. We we have to give you two breaks because the law said so. You don't want that. So those things don't apply, not in a negative way, but you got to look at the positivity. Of yeah, it depends you, how you're you reading have, it. It exactly. sounded very negative as you're reading. You know, you don't get, you know, but you're right. I mean, if if I was going to work and I had, you know, a six hour shift, if I could fit six people in there, I'm probably going to fit six people in there and then just go home. You know, I'm not going to, why would I just take an hour break and sit there? Absolutely. And on the idea of break, I had a break today at one, going to have a break tomorrow at one, going to have a break the next day at one. That doesn't work for us. No. You're going to have a break at one today. You're going to have a break maybe at three tomorrow, maybe at 10 the next day. And then the day after you're like, no, I'm going to go through the whole day. I'm not going to take a break and get home, you know, and then the next day off. Yeah. You get that choice. So there, again, the ESA, if we had that other factor of control from the ESA, as opposed to saying these things don't apply, the employer would have to force you to take these breaks because Mm -hmm. that's what it says. Whereas here, you're able to just work. So you can maximize, one, your income, which is always like good, but also maximize how many patients you can see in the time you're there. How does the pay work at a chain? That I actually don't remember or I don't know if I ever knew. Do they get paid hourly just for being there through their shift? Do they have to stay when they don't have a client? Are they still getting paid or are they only getting paid a percentage of hands-on hours? I think that's going to come down to again, contracts, right? But usually... I think it's variable even within the chains because they're franchise owners. Some of them are corporate-owned and some of them are franchise. And the different franchise owners, all of them operate fucking differently. Well, the reason I ask because it, it just made me think of it when Chris was saying, you know, you can work through your break and maximize your pay. Like, I assume they get paid a certain amount per client. Yes. This is my assumption, right? Because it wouldn't make sense, you know, if you worked six hours and only saw three clients versus if you worked six hours and saw six clients, your pay should be different, right? Yes, yeah. But let's say, you know, you had a shift one day that was a 10 to six and you in that 10 to six shift only saw four people. All of those other hours, my assumption would be as an employee, you would be expected to be there for a walk-in or for a last minute booking. 
Are you getting paid something for those hours that you're just there? There most likely are some sort of duties done in that time period mm-hmm. that you're you're paid something for. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Yep. If you have things to do to mm-hmm. be paid for, then yeah, you're going you might have it in your contract that you're going to get your minimum, but you have to sweep up, you need to exactly. you know, Windex the the mm-hmm. front window, like whatever it is, you can't just sit there and like make money. They you're an employee, you're being told, "Okay, so these are things that need to be done." And you've got some downtime, so go ahead, do it, and we'll we'll pay you. But let's say I'm I'm just trying to figure this. I out. I mean, I'm just assuming. Let's that's... say there was nothing to be done. I mean, that doesn't ever exist. But you know, in some magical world where everything was done, and I didn't have a client, and I'm working at let's say a massage addict, I don't have a client now for two hours. Would I be able to say like I'm going to go take a two hour break? And just forfeit getting any money in that period of time? I would say it comes down to the individual uh, owners and what they've put in place, right? Because they do have capacity to change their contracts slightly Mm -hmm. for for their employees and what that means. So in some cases, you may have someone who's like, I want you sitting here the whole time for walk-ins and you're getting paid this minimum for the day. And if you make more than that, your minimum is like off the table, but... You know, you have to be there. And then mm-hmm. others saying, you know what, if there's nothing to do, just leave and uh, just don't go any further than uh, 15 minutes away so we can call you back in kind of deal. Like, See, that you know? that would be a downside for me in being an employee is that, okay, so I make, you know, an hourly rate, but if I'm not doing anything, I don't get that hourly rate, but I still have to kind of be on call. But you get, there's no benefit to being on call because you might never get called. So it's like, you can't do anything or go anywhere. Well, quote unquote, there's no benefit because you're on call, patient comes in and all of a sudden you've got that uh, one hour income. There's your benefit. Yeah. I'm having a hard time seeing the benefit. It's, it's, but again, I like I said, it's that's my personality. Yeah. I can see how some people would much rather do that and not have to worry about any of the business aspect of mm. being self-employed. There's a lot of people that work as an independent contractor on a split and they're expected to do the same thing. You've given us this time, this availability. Well, you don't physically have to be here, but you have to be available. You have to be available. Yeah. You should. Be. Same same idea. Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah. The difference. Have. Should. Like myself, when I, when I take off. I, I tell front desk, I'm like, okay, I'm out of here for a while. If anyone calls in and, and wants, give me a shout. I'll let you know how long it'll take me to be back there and then we'll fit them in, right? Because I'm always willing to, to be there to help out. But I'm not just going to sit there on my butt doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give myself a shout. I'll get back in. Yeah. And depending on how far away I am, I'll tell you what time to book them. So we all agree. We think a lot of RMTs are probably being misclassified and are actually working as what the CRA would define as employees, yes. not self-employed individuals. Absolutely. So for anybody that's listening that maybe is now confused because we go on many tangents, it's my fault. And I know it's my fault. I'll fully admit it. Um, what things like just give them some quick and dirty bullet points. I mean, yes, you can repeat the, you know, the document they can look at, but quick and dirty bullet points to really consider to know, am I being misclassified? Am I an employee or am I actually a subcontracted self-employed individual? The first and foremost is that control. How much does who have? And the top of the the pile is money. CRA is always about money. Mm -hmm. So who has control of the money? And if it's the clinic, but you can ask for a check to be cut any day of the week if you want it. Great, you've got control. You've but got if they're control. telling you, nope, you got to wait. You got to wait till the fifteenth or the first in order to get that check. Well, that's no control now. It's all funneled through them and up to the the top. So CRA, like 
they're going to go where the money is indicating first and foremost. Okay. But then from there, we, we do have our various levels of that control. So um, pretty much if you haven't agreed to it in your contract ahead of time. So the schedule is another one, right? We've talked about that. If you haven't agreed to a schedule and what you're going to give them and, and they agree that this is adequate for us, you both sign saying, I like it. If you're told and dictated to after the fact, you've lost control. If after the fact, and there, again, nothing there, but if after the fact, you're the one who's constantly saying, yeah, I'm thinking um, yeah, next Tuesday I want to come in uh, one till five only. And they're like, yeah, no problem. That's your control. You are more likely self-employed. Mm-hmm. right? And then the the tools of the trade, like we said, it's one of those things. It's It's a good thing when you walk in and someone's like, everything's furnished. Well, just define it properly. Are they renting that as well as the space? Because if you just define, oh, it's for the space and all this stuff is there, you're controlling the equipment. Where it's like, no, you're you're renting space, you're renting equipment, you're renting, uh, or some of your rent or your percentage goes towards reception, whatever. Everything gets defined and you're showing what you're actually getting from that and that you are controlling mm-hmm. those things and that the company hasn't just given them to you, right. that they're renting those things to you, right? So those things uh, definitely will help to, to figure it out. But it, it always comes down to control at the end of the day. Like who has the most? And whoever has the most will usually determine which direction. If it's the um, owner has the most, then you're more likely a employee. Mm-hmm. If it is you who has the most, you're more likely self-employed, right? And that, like I said, that thing with the locum. Your ability to subcontract your subcontracted work without like being dictated to. But, you know, like we said, like maybe they want to look at it and say, we want to agree that this person we can all work with and, and mesh that w- with. And that was in my right? original contract that yeah, if I were to bring in sense. a locum, they would have to meet the clinic owner yeah. and the clinic owner would have to sort of, you know, stamp of approval that this mm-hmm. person can be a part of the clinic. Yep. And I was okay with that. Yeah, That's and as fair. long as they're the locum under you. So example being that whatever they're making, they give you whatever you've subbed to them. Like right. If you say, like for, for example, we'll go with the percentages. If someone's doing a 70-30 split, right? And, and going on a vacation or something, says bring in a locum and it's like, you're going to do a 60-40 split with me, right? So you keep 10% as your business owner mm-hmm. and you give the other 30 to the master contract, and yeah. your your rent. So you're allowed to do that because yeah. that's your business. And the person who has the master contract can't step in and go, wait a minute, you're making money off of that other person. I want all of that too because they're working in my business. Right. The contract at that point is between you and the locum. Correct. There's nothing sh- to do with exactly. the business owner. And it owner. shouldn't be looked at by the business owner. Like all that matters in that case, we said the meshing. Someone comes in, do they work well in this clinic? Can mm-hmm. Can we work as a team? Awesome. Great. Now the specifics of how you're putting them as a locum, that's all you if you're controlling your business. Mm -hmm. But we've seen this one too often where someone's going on mat leave and then the clinic puts out a call for the mat uh, coverage and they control everything. You're not getting a locum. Your business is now no longer in your control whatsoever. Yeah. You've actually been classified into an employee just for going on mat leave. Interesting. Well, that didn't yeah. that didn't happen yeah. to me. I continued to pay rent all through my mat leave, which, you know, years later I look back and realize what a mistake that was. Cause then I went back to have to forfeit the business anyway. There you go. <laughs> 
Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, that sucked. I, I think yeah. That, yeah. I think that pretty much is the the major bullets there, right? That control factor. I think that was it. The only thing is the way we started this have a contract and have all these things clearly defined. If you are working with someone for someone in any way, you should have a contract. And like I said, we have a lot of therapists come through here that will tell us, oh yeah, I'm working at a physio clinic. I'm working at a chiro clinic, but they don't have a contract with the clinic owner. How do you have any idea how you're defined or who has control of what or how things are? You have nothing. Well, even there with the contract, if you've got two page contract, you really don't have a contract. That's just a, a contract to say, what am I going to pay you? Where's the address that it's at? Do mm-hmm. you get a key or not? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, you should have a key to have control. Since writing contracts myself, like I won't really do anything less than the, the 12 pages when I create it because there's just so many things that have to be covered. And, well, even a, a couple things we haven't discussed yet, uh, one of the major bone contentions that I know this one really, really gets like on both sides, a little fight, is the, the records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Who has ownership control blah 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 of right. the records right p hipaa you know healthcare consent act all that sort of stuff yeah there's a can of worms want to open it i can open anything we can this could be a whole other podcast <laughs> sure oh, i know right <laughs> but um the the plain and simple is it, the first and foremost business owner right who isn't a healthcare professional there isn't anything under the under PHIPAA or even Healthcare Consent Act that allows a non-health professional to be the actual health information custodian, the one who's in control of those those records. So if you're subcontract, so example, a spa owned by someone who just you know went through business school, they're not actually a health professional. They should not be allowed to have those files after. Um, they've been taught, of course, that. They're supposed to because for whatever reason, and I think the most I usually hear is they don't want the outgoing RMT to have access to the information to contact these people and quote unquote steal them. But as we know, healthcare in Ontario, there's no such thing as stealing. People have control over where they access their own healthcare. They can't be stolen. They make choices. Now, solicitation, sure, that's a, a whole other deal of like, do you have something in your contract that says you can't call them and say, you know, I'm going here, follow me, but you can't stop them from saying, Hey, so you've left where you're going mm-hmm. and saying, I'm sorry, I'm, I can't because you belong to them. No, you're a health yeah, no, professional. You're a person. You don't belong to anyone. <laughs> no, exactly. And even the whole idea with the healthcare consent act is if that person comes to you, you can't even tell anyone that they're now coming to you mm-hmm. because that's their private information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't even owe it to the, the outgoing place to say, oh, all these people are now following me. Or even if they call and say, hey, did, did these 10 people follow you? You're, you can't answer. Yeah. Healthcare Consent Act doesn't allow you to answer that, right? So, but um, I think where we get the, the muddied is uh, when you got a clinic that's owned by a healthcare professional who automatically, they want to be the health information custodian. They want to hold the records. Yep. And I know this is going to get the pushback on it because... There's different ways of in, interpreting, but I think when we look at the employee versus subcontractor thing, if you're an employee, yep, the clinic owner who's a health professional is the health information custodian. That is how it goes. They are in charge of that health information. And then the employee would be an agent of Correct. the yes. health information the employee, custodian. the front desk, whoever is the agent thereof. But then when we get into the situation where you have subcontractors, what really is subcontract? It's a business within a business. So as the owner of your own business, 
you're automatically your business's health information custodian. That means you're in charge of those files. You're in charge of all that health information. So, and, and I think this is where we need to see the better contracts. If, if say, a physio clinic, chiro clinic wants to keep those files, they need to, and this is the part of the pages I include now, they need to define that the person is actually relinquishing the status of being the health information custodian to that clinic. Otherwise, you really are still your own health information custodian. You are the owner of your business. Yeah. How does this work? I assume this gets pretty muddy then when it comes to file sharing. So for example, a clinic that I rented in mm -hmm. and it, we were all subcontractors, but sometimes there would be patients who went to different practitioners just based on schedule and availability. So the files when I was leaving, they stayed with the clinic owner who's a healthcare professional. I have access to them, but they stayed with her yeah. because it wasn't just my patient files. This was a patient who had seen maybe multiple therapists under the same yes, roof. Yes, and that, and that is what, what happens a lot. So that's why I think we, we need to see these better contracts made where there is a clause to define mm -hmm. who is. Not, not wait until termination happens and you're like, okay, I got to take my files. And the owner goes, no, 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 not your files. There are files. That is one of those big things that needs to be talked about ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It's like, who is going to be in charge when this is over? Because all business relationships will end. You, you can't go in thinking it's not gonna, it will. Yeah. Like there is a termination point, whether it's a positive or a negative, it doesn't matter. They all end. You have to res like resign for whatever reason, um, you're moving, you're retiring, whatever it is, it's gonna end. So there's a definition that should be in place. And part of that is, does the clinic become the health information custodian? Or are you just gonna assign that over right away and they are the health information custodian? You're just the agent from the get-go. Without the definition in place, that's where we, we get the butting of heads where one says, no, I'm supposed to be. And it's like, no, no, I'm supposed to be. It becomes very muddy and we get those mm -hmm. um, terminations that go from positive to all of a sudden, big fights and negativity between two people who were once friends or were at least um, friendly, yeah. right? So we need these things to find ahead of time because in all reality, again, if you're self-employed, you're running your own business, you are in charge of your files. You become the health information custodian of your own files. Right. There has to be something in place. If, you, if the owner or the subcontractor wants to make a definition, they should. Mm -hmm. But, and I just did this with uh, someone the other day who was getting a contract from a spa where they put in the contract that the all client files were theirs, leads were theirs, things like this. And it's like, you can't do that. None, none of your health professionals, you're not in any capacity under the Acts of Ontario allowed to have those files. You shouldn't even be accessing those files because right. you're all agents. And the only reason you have capacity even to hold those files or to do intake with someone is because the subcontractor has allowed you as their agent to do so. But even there, like they can't just rummage through files and start looking for information mm -hmm. um, and they should not be holding on to. They're not obligated with health information the way we are. Right. And we have to follow PHIPAA, HCCA. Like those are just uh, like things we have to do. So I put that into the contract and, and I flipped around and part of it was I supplied the information. I supplied a, a letter, um, you know, of explanation as to why this had to be done this way and the the people of course again that thing of like they just got information from people who gave them information who right. were given information they had no idea that there was any laws that applied they thought like, and i think this is where most people come in they think that the person is taking the file so they can build a business off of quote unquote their hard work uh, as the clinic or the spa or whatever 
but it's about obligating to the patient's uh, private information. Yeah. And what we're supposed to do, like as far as the health uh, commissioner is concerned, right? That we have to do these things. And this, you know, for anyone listening who does work for um, as an employee at a massage addict or a spa, anything like that, you know, it you are as a healthcare professional, you're autonomous and you can't hide under the umbrella of like, oh, the clinic said that they own the files because you should know better. And you should know that this owner who is not a healthcare professional mm-hmm. can't do that. Correct. And in that sort of situation, because you're an employee, um, what those places should do, and if they're not, so definitely highly recommend it, is that there should be a lead health professional. And that lead health professional is then the health information custodian. Yeah. And if they ever leave and there there becomes a new lead professional, then that one can sign over that right of being the health information custodian to the new person. Right. Easy peasy. They've got it. Right. But it's just a matter of it has to be in writing. You need to have these things changed in writing, defined in writing. Yeah. And I think that's uh, like you said, a lot of people just have information passed down and don't know. Like, for example, I know somebody who owns a massage addict who's not a healthcare professional, you know, just bought a franchise and is hiring therapists and would and, you know, I would love to ask him actually who is responsible for the files? I wonder if he's ever even thought of that. Yeah, who is your defined health information Who is that person, custodian? right? Because PHIPAA requires you to define it. Yeah. You have to say who it is so that if, like, say in a motor vehicle accident or say there's a claim against uh, someone and, and they want access to files, a letter asking for access has to go to the HIC. Yep. Yep. Not only that, what about breaches in confidentiality? I mean, as a regulated healthcare professional, there are certain guidelines of what you have to go through in terms of reporting annually to the privacy yep. commissioner. If you're the health information custodian, you know, that someone who's not regulated might not have to do. Yeah, absolutely. All of these things that, you know, now I'm just... Not that I didn't agree with you before, but now I'm really seeing the need for revamping of business classes in massage school, because these are things that we should all know. Because again, is, as a healthcare professional, you can't hide under the, are I'm these, an employee, I didn't know these better. things that you don't know, or you weren't taught? So for example, all the stuff within the Personal Health Information Protection Act, the Healthcare Consent Act, uh, Privacy Commissioner, all of that shit. I've taught this before. The problem is you got a bunch of students that are in front of you that have an oral practical exam the next class. They got a neurology exam the next week. They don't give a shit about this because they don't see how this makes a difference in their career as a massage therapist. Yeah, they're not taught a lot of the time. Yeah. You just don't care. Well, obviously you're taught. The three of us sitting here know this. I've taught it. Yeah. (laughs) You two have taught it. it We're brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. And we know, like we, we know on this end how critically important this stuff is over a lot of the other things like you know the even the hands-on learning of uh, techniques and stuff as we know a lot of techniques come down to as long as you're attempting it it'll work but to know laws and, and regulations so those are important but they get under the carpet people don't remember them all because they're paying too much attention to how do I do alternating double uh, thumb needs again? <laughs> no. It's true though. No, it is very true. And I think a part, a big part of it is the instructor you have. You know, there's sometimes where the instructors themselves almost breeze through this stuff. Like I remember sitting in my massage class, like, just reading the RHPA by myself. It wasn't like, you know, something that we were actively all discussing. It was like, read this section, we'll t- you know, just know it enough to pass a multiple choice test. There are oh, so exactly. many people that come in here to do like preparation for the MCQ and they have no fucking clue what the RHPA is about. 
none whatsoever. Yeah. And I'm just like shocked. I'm like, what? Yeah, it was very, very glossed over in their accounting. And then they don't realize how much it actually controls what they're going to be like tested on. This is where, like, when, like, I think really all the schools from the beginning to the end should be incorporating into all exams, all testings, things about the like consent act the rhpa the like PHIPA, like everything that is like you know crucial should have something represented in every test and make you continue continue to think because once you're done that class and a lot of times especially like i know the vocational schools it's like first semester and then and we forget all about that and we just go through um, did you do all the steps to get through this uh, back massage? Do that, great. But things like, actually, like, did you go through these appropriately? Why and why? In other words, the th- the things that'll land you in shit when you have uh, some sort of misconduct with the college and you find yourself in front of a discipline committee. This is probably the stuff you might want to know about. Yeah, I just should be focused on a bit more. I'm not saying it's not taught because I agree with you. Of course, I learned it. Of course, I was taught it. I was tested on it. I, it was on the MCE. At least this there. way, you'll know if you should get a lawyer or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the, the theories I had uh, in school for teaching, like any of the exams, I was personally like wanting to see that like if you did anything during your exam that would warrant you to lose your license hmm. you shouldn't pass that test like i know it sounds cruel no it's but not cruel it is like you learn from that shit oh for sure because if you failed a critical like uh mock exam or something because you screwed up so big as opposed to so you got 95 percent, but we had to take five percent off because you put the person's life at risk no that's no, a that's a it that's should a, be that's an automatic no, you, you would failed. you would fail them automatically of course, i know you that's would. a fail and i used to and i got questioned on it a lot <laughs> but in, in yeah, the long Mark run wasn't I saw, always the fave for that no for i saw sure. a lot of times where like i had people and and i hate to say i failed them it's just they presented in a way they that were, that resulted in them failing. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't there to try to like pump up their mark to get them absolutely the not face because it's like as much as I definitely did piss a few people off because they had to retake their mega mock exam and spend that fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. It was a hell of a lot better than spending a thousand because someone just pushed them along and they For screwed sure. up their OSCE. For sure, yeah, definitely. There's there's no benefit in. Not uh, and there's a bigger price tag that comes with doing something that you really shouldn't at some point. Like yeah. like yeah. like I went to a CMTO hearing. I can't remember when. A few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. I'm going to another one next Tuesday. week, just because I'm I'm kind of interested in some of these things. Yeah, and, you're around here. Pop in. And, yeah, and uh, this dude, you know, I kind of felt bad for him, but I didn't. But I did. But I didn't. But I did. I didn't feel bad for him because you know what? The, his life is over. I mean, it's his. His doing, but like his life is over. But his life is over. I mean, the hearing cost was probably about $115,000 and um, he is, has to pay back two thirds of that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's pretty heavy. And it was not worth it. Just don't do fucking stupid things that are going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars. Well that's what I mean. It's not it's not even just like my license is at stake or whatever the case is. I mean that's a heavy price tag that guy had. Yeah. It's not even that heavy price tag. Like the college was like initially gave him a two year period to pay it back, to pay back like eighty grand. It's the money, it's his reputation. It's and that he no longer has his career. And then he's like I I I don't have the means to do that. And then they're like, okay, five. And then he's like, well, I propose that we do eight because <laughs> like this is what's reasonable for me. But I mean, like he's he, just 
from a money standpoint, he's 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 done so. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a mortgage payment to the college. Don't know the case he saw, but like obviously, there's a lot of times where. where oh, I mean, he deserves what because, he's getting oh, on that one. So, I just feel bad for him in a way, but I don't really yeah, feel bad for him. You yeah. know what I mean? But a lot of times, people get in trouble just, uh, you know, because that that whole thing of like not knowing. Oh, for sure. Right? Like they again, like we said, they gloss over how quickly like you go through and like oh, all these things that were misconduct. Great, I passed my test. Forgot them. Yeah, for sure. But because they're too busy again worrying about like getting through that leg massage that back massage because that's being drilled in over and over but not enough being drilled in about like following the laws and stuff so we all have capacity to fall through those grates way too easy yeah like you know? we do a we do a record keeping course and the record keeping course everyone thinks it's about patient records it's actually not the course is about if you have to write down anything we discuss it right all record keeping it's, it's, not just patient files exactly so one of the things that we talk about a lot then is mandatory reporting obligations and every time we bring up mandatory reporting obligations there are so many people that are sitting in the class and when we start talking about if you are a facility owner and you fire someone or you you dissolve a relationship, a business relationship with somebody, or you impose limitations on someone's ability to work because of misconduct, incapacity, or incompetence. That's a mandatory reporting obligation. No one, Absolutely. every every person that's ever sat in my class has none of none of them have known that. And wow. I was like, how many people have you guys have? Has anyone? And I've had people in there. Yeah, that a lot of they, people they fire the people for these types of misconduct. Yeah, but a lot and, of people think the mandatory reporting just falls under the guise of. Like there was a like a sexual attack or something, right? They, yeah, they think that's it or suspected child abuse, abuse elderly. Yeah. So they think that's the yeah. limitation, but there's no, so much there's more, so much more that actually comes into play there. And you know, if you read all the the stuff there on the the website alone, like you'll see that big list of, of the things yeah. you're saying. Yeah. They, they're there in in plain English, yep. accessible to all of us. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's what those e-learning modules need to be about. They need to be all about college policy. They need to be all about legislation. Get to work. Me, get to work. Get I, to I've work. got courses with this shit already. <laughs> well, of course, you know, we're, we're going to get a new change come up now too because they're revamping the standards and whatnot. Oh, yeah. So, and then, I don't know if you if you see that because I pay enough attention to the, the website, so I think you do, is that every now and then we see something has been taken down, changed, removed. Yep, yep. Like we, we go to look for it and it's like, oh, why isn't it there now? Yeah. Because they're, they're doing so many change ups with uh, what's happening. And unfortunately it's been removed before they go to a replacement. Yes. You know, and we're sitting there going, oh, I know this information. It's right there. Oh, oh, wait, it's not there anymore. They changed that. What are they going to change it to? I don't know. So good thing I still remember in my head and I have some printouts and I can tell you what we're currently working with, but mm -hmm. I have no clue what the new one's going to be yet. So hold on. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So we're going to see some good changes that are going to occur and that'll affect the courses and whatnot too. So I know I'm kind of kicking myself. Now I got to go record a whole other video section for the, uh, the uh, code of ethics. I'm like, Oh man, yeah, just you put, a, you put a little disclaimer me. at the beginning of our online course, like changes coming, new video coming in January. <laughs> yeah. We have to, you got to keep up. Well, you absolutely do. And that, that speaks to, to all the other stuff. Like we're saying, like just because it was information 20 years ago, doesn't mean it's still information today. So you can't go back on your on your notes from uh, 1994 and decide, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, here's all the standards, mm -hmm. here's all the information. They've changed. There's been little additions. Like we see the revision dates. Yeah, there there've been changes. Yep. So if you're relying upon stuff from uh, you know way back, you're off. Mm. 
And now it's going to be even more off because we're changing a lot there at the CMTO. Yeah. This is a beautiful thing about working in healthcare. I, it's funny, Mark and I used to joke about um, how neither of one, of one of us would want to be a lawyer because that's like doing homework for your entire life. But working in healthcare is kind of the same thing because you got to keep up with everything. You have to know what's going on in your industry, not as much as a lawyer. Yes, yeah. I understand. Theirs is like serious homework. That's we have homework. a friend who's a lawyer That's and literally homework. he just does homework all day. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I'll uh, admit in that uh, first few years out of school, you know, um, definitely we're, we're going to say it was before the internet was so dramatic. Um, I didn't keep up on stuff, right? We just, the school has it. We relied that, uh, that this information is accurate and up to date and like, hey, Let's use it. Yeah. But then as I progressed through my career and <laughs> you realize more this, like, there's a bunch of yahoos that there. teach. Oh, man. <laughs> Unfortunately. So now, uh, as we can see on uh, Facebook and whatnot, I do a crap ton of reading and like learning this stuff. And like now, like I've read so much of it so many times, it's just right there. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I like, yeah, I've got the reference material beside me, but I've opened it what twice? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's there because you've gone over it so many times you know there it's just all that homework all that learning and this and this is stuff i'm choosing to do i'm not being paid well that's what i mean it's important for you to know it you feel it's important why the hell doesn't anyone else feel it's important i wouldn't say nobody feels it's important i think there's a lot of people just as the people who don't want to have responsibility for running their own business who don't actually take a step back and think about what i had mentioned before as a healthcare professional you're an you're autonomous and you can't hide under your employer and i think there's still people working in our field who think they can hide under their employer. You know, they work at a clinic, they follow the clinic policies. They're not thinking about all of these things that they're supposed to be on top of all the well, time. Hide. And I'm going to throw in there a little bit of fear of that person. And like, you know, that I could lose my income, I could lose my job. Um, or, oh, what if they report me for something stupid because they maybe like threatened it. Mm. Right. And we see this where like, you know, people, unfortunately, like in every profession, every walk of life, there's going to be people who want to overbear. And all you t all you have is that one bad apple. And then like you got all these people afraid of it and they're not going to push because they're like status quo. Great. Going to go home as long as I didn't rock the boat today. I don't know. RMTs. Yeah, I got to pick it up a bit. And it, like a lot. You, you say that. And, like I, I think of the, the spa thing. I always go back to spa, unfortunately, like an industry where there's a lot of misinformation but if you go to like a, a medi spa kind of thing and a doctor walks in like i'm going to use this for the files kind of thing doctor walks in they're regarded as medical professional they they have the key to their file drawer they take their files with them when they're done spa doesn't even think twice medical professional comes in has rmt beside their name all of a sudden it's no 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 mm. that's all all ours yeah and it's seen differently even though it shouldn't be do rmt's need bigger balls is that what we're saying then i don't i don't want bigger balls <laughs> Uh, no, I think this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but maybe just to, I get torn between being, um, like giving people a break and cutting them some slack because maybe they were misinformed and no, it's your fucking responsibility to be informed. It's your responsibility and to be informed. And it's, you know, there's certain things that I can cut people some slack on and, you know, take an opportunity to educate. And there's certain things where I'm like, no, you should fucking know this. And so it, it it's case by case. I don't think anybody's stupid. I don't think anybody doesn't want to know. I think laziness might be a factor, you know, because they have to actually look 
look something up on the internet. That, and... that to me is the equivalent to not wanting to know, by the way. But yeah, that's true. Being lazy and not Choosing wanting... to be lazy and and not wanting to know is the same yeah. thing. Yeah, and, but then... Also, not to sound too ridiculous, but you don't know what you don't know sometimes. Like Chris said, there's probably people coming out of school that maybe think what they learned in school is enough to get them through and they know enough and they, they think they know everything and they don't know. And they might not be aware that their notes are based on notes from uh, the 80s, 90s. Right. And so this is where I'm like, there's certain people that I might cut them some slack and say, okay, you don't know. You really should. Let's smarten you up now and let's teach you. And then there's other people I think, like you said, just don't give a fuck or lazy, whatever. Those people need to smarten up. If you know you don't know and you're not trying to know, I, I can't help you. Exactly. And I think like, I don't know, a fair amount of people Did fall into the you? boat. <laughs> no, I'm with you. A fair amount of people fall into that boat of being like, you know, not able to like advocate for themselves. I'd say instead of growing balls, you know, mm. advocate for themselves. They, they don't push back enough. And I definitely fell into to that. The first uh, few years, half mm-hmm. of my career kind of thing. But since then, I've been more and more inclined to push. And like, I push more for other people a lot now because I see so many things come up. Like we see questions and comments come up all the time on uh, the, the different forums. And it's just, you look at it and like right off the hop, you're like, oh my God, someone has been misinformed. I got to step in before like more inf- misinformation like appears we got to get in there quick and like set this straight do you find it hard do you because when i look at the forums i'm not in any of them as we set off mike i don't have a professional account anymore so i'm not involved in all these massage groups on facebook i only see when mark's online and i might be sitting beside him and i'll see some of the stuff it turns ridiculous real fast like people just personally attacking other people sometimes do you find it hard to be able to educate someone with you know, all of the other swarms of people who are just attacking them for being misinformed? It can get a little difficult, but I think like the, the perseverance, like pushing, um, you know, the fact that you're, you're trying to help your colleagues, you're not, you're not trying to like, you know, push your own agenda. You're, you're trying to, to push, to help your colleagues. And that's going to be like on both sides of the, the equation, the clinic owners, the ones in charge, the subcontractors, employees, like you got to be on, both sides of there because they're all colleagues they're all rmts and they may have been misinformed or they may be getting misinformation right now and it's difficult when you know it is online it's not face to face so like you know which is why a lot of times you'll see when i put stuff on i I go right over to to google grab the like you know the the information to back it up and throw it in there i'm not going to say like this is this is it this is what i know I'm going to say this is what I know and this is the document that backs it up. Yeah. So that you know you can can gravitate people towards the better information because you're backing it up with something that is accurate and if in this regard right if you can bring something from the government the acts the the CRA stuff like that's as high up as you're going to get. Yeah. Right not just well this this was in a textbook that I was given in school. Well that textbook may not be up to date but the website is right do you ever just give up like when you see something that's online are you just never like fuck it my hands in the air i'm not even gonna bother with this one because you seem like a decent guy who's always ready to help and you know put out the information do you ever just look at something and be like this is just even too much for me to fucking even get into not usually mm. no. i think the only time that i would ever get that way is somebody who's just not reasonable you know like when somebody 
if somebody has been misinformed and you're showing them the correct information and you've got sources to back it up and they're coming back with, well, like my cousin who's a doctor in France told me that, like, okay, well, you're just what's, not being what's reasonable What's wrong with anymore. French doctors? Nothing. <laughs> it was the first thing that popped into my head. Nothing is wrong with French doctors. <laughs> She's just trying to indicate jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There, there Somebody you understands me in this room. No, but I mean, like I, like I said, I get torn sometimes when I hear somebody spewing information that's incorrect. I'm happy to say, no, this is incorrect and this is why and, you know, back it up. But if it turns into an all out argument of somebody who is, okay, I'll use the example because we know she's never going to listen because she flat out told us she's not going to listen. We put out a podcast. (laughs) We put out a podcast about sex testing in sports and somebody came at me and said, I don't like the name of this. It's not sex. And I said, okay, you have to listen to the podcast. This actually has nothing to do with gender and gender identity. This is specifically about biology. What they're testing in these professional level sports is your sex. So that's what I'm talking about. And she went off three or four paragraphs and I said, you know what? I'm just going to stop replying at this point because I can defend and I can try to make her understand the difference between sex and gender, but she has already made up her mind and she's flat out told me, I'm not even going to listen to your stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) And we just, you know, at that point, you got to stop talking. But if somebody is misinformed, I will happily give them the information. I want to educate people. I don't like to get argumentative. I'm actually a very passive person, which is why in the beginning of my career, I had a contract and, you know, just curled up and walked away with my tail between my legs when she told me otherwise. So I'm I'm not an argumentative person. So if somebody's just being unreasonable and ridiculous, I'm like, okay, you can carry on living your life unreasonably and ridiculous. I'm out. I think Absolutely. I'm getting old. I think I'm getting old. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, when we've been at this uh, a while, um, some of us uh, go in one direction, others in a different direction. And I think, um, you know, where we're at, yeah, it's you're, you're trying to help. And it does mm-hmm. get frustrating, but like for me, end of the day kind of thing, it's, I've tried, if you're not going to see the light, that's on you, not me. Yeah. I did my part and I'm going to try to help as much as you'll allow me. And if you're not going to, going to see what I have and see, like read the like links I'm giving you with the actual accurate today information. Because the doctor in France told because, you it's wrong. Yeah. So that's, that's on you. And yeah. like, it's not, it's not going to lead to my ultimate frustration over it. It's just, you know, like you did tell students all the time, yeah. you're not going to help all the people yep. you're, you're, you have to be able to walk away and say, I tried. Yep. And that's all there is. And like, so it, I sleep well at night. Like, you know, I don't take this stress on that someone has gone a little cray cray. Yep. I'm going to give them some information, going to work with it, try to inform. And like, when you see that they're just stuck that's now on them. You tried. Yeah. And, you know, if it leads to, to something down the line where they get in trouble, well, it's not because I didn't try. So I'm going to ask you what I asked Ian Cam when he sat on the couch. Why do you care? You seem like you care. Why do you care so much? I like to help. <laughs> that's Is that it? That's the answer? I like to help? Yeah, yeah. Like, the, these are my colleagues. Uh, and like I said, both sides of the, the equation. These are my colleagues. These are health uh, care professionals. And I want to see them do well. You know, it's not just about me and my little corner of the world. It It is helping as many people do things correct as they can. And in the long run, that's going to lead to them helping their patients better, mm-hmm. be better informed for their patients. I just, yeah, enjoy helping. Don't take this people. the wrong way. Were you a Boy Scout? You seem very Boy Scoutish. I did Boy Scout. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was really was, wondering was, where was you were I going. was I a boy scout in that regard? No. Um, but I did Boy Scouts. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cubs, Scouts. Yeah, I got it. Seems like a very you know, Boy Scout. You know what? Guy. I'd, I I think I said something along these lines when you asked Ian Cam the question because he said to you, "Well, why do you care? You know, look what you do. You do the podcast. You I teach don't. Your courses. <laughs> Jokes on you. <laughs> no. And the thing is, every I know you're joking, and hopefully everyone else knows you're joking. But you want rmts to know this stuff you want rmts to do better or else you wouldn't put the amount of effort you do so there is a part of you probably a large part that you choose not to admit to that wants to elevate the profession i have to use that terminology because people always say to us oh look at you guys and what you're doing and you're elevating the profession you want to because as a rmt you don't want people walking around thinking that we're all fucking dumb I have to think about that. You, I have to think ahead. about my motivation. Why Why else, right? Like, I care about the profession I'm in. Right. Right? Like, we're going to say Mark does, and, you know, he can admit it later off. off uh, you he know, does. He absolutely <laughs> does. But yeah. But, like, to, to see the profession grow, that means we have to help the base. Right. And, and that can be whatever it is, like helping someone, like, just navigate some stuff that they do know and helping them understand a little better or add information that they just don't know or forgot and build up the profession like we mm-hmm. want to see this profession like go to the next level like we it's been what talked is the about next many, level what's the next level yeah it's been talked about many a time tell like me what going the next to, level going is. to the bachelor level right making this uh profession have to have a bachelor to, to be there and to do that like everything has to come up the base level of understanding education needs to come up and that may be uh, at this point outside of school that we're doing this mm-hmm. but eventually like we'll we'll see it there and it would be nice obviously to to get that bachelor of uh, massage therapy to match uh, several other health professions that uh, are at the same level because really under the rhpa should we really still just be a certificate diploma? With or without the bachelor, though, like in every profession, there's always going to be the people who want to elevate the profession, who care like you two do, willing to admit or not. And there's always going to be the people who are going to do the bare minimum and coast by. That's why, you know, there's comedies about, you know, the the pro bono lawyers who, you know, the super strong like prosecutors make fun of or, you know, there's the the peewee doctors who, you know, work in the walk-in clinics versus the surgeon. Like there's always going to be the people in the profession that are regarded higher and the people that are regarded as sort of the, the baseline. And that's okay. But whether you're the lower tier or the highest tier, where, wherever you are in the profession, you should at least understand basic things like the laws of your own profession, understand what you can and can't do. I think that should be baseline. This shouldn't be something that you're learning after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. Do better, people. Do better. Mm, well said. Anything else, boys? Oh, uh, no. Is there anything else you want to wrap on? <laughs> talked out. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we could keep going, but no, no, no. That, we, we've been talking for other, two hours. Other, other podcasts, right? No, I think I think we're good. There, There's a lot more that we could go over, but I think like comes down to this point, like we'll see, we'll see the, the responses, the questions that come out and whatnot, mm. and then uh, respond from there. Because when it comes to it, what we're doing is we're condensing right down like something that really is uh, a whole diploma unto itself to understand like some business laws and things like that. We're, we're just hitting on like the tip of the iceberg for some of the stuff that um, drive us nuts because it, it is misinformed and it can lead to a lot of problems. 
But there, yeah, there's just so much more that just hasn't even been hit on yet. Well, thank you for driving through the horrible traffic of the GTA from London. Yeah, what's it with you guys? Come on, it takes me 15 minutes to get across my city. Well, anyway, thank you for hanging out on the couch. And next time we've got a serious talk about the industry that needs to happen, maybe we'll come to you. We do love London, so maybe we will make the drive to you the next time. Come down to your alma mater there, you know, why not? We talk about moving to London every few months. And then I get cold feet and say, forget it. We're staying in Toronto. She likes to say she's from Toronto. I'm a snob. Yeah, well. Where are you from? Toronto. London's fun. Come on. (laughs) I was on the phone with uh, my phone company yesterday because I was changing my plan. Oh, here. uh, Just so you all know how much of a sucker I am. I called to get a cheaper plan and ended up paying the same amount I do now, but got a new phone. Man, sales pitches work on me. But anyway, I was on the phone with with the customer service from the phone company, and he's in uh, Prince Edward Island, so East Coast, Canada. And he said, okay, you're in Scarborough, so it should arrive to you in uh, three to six days. Like, if you were in Toronto, I could guarantee two to four. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am in Toronto. What do you say? I'm like, oh, you're from the East Coast. You understand. Scarborough is Toronto. (laughs) Get so defensive. But I bet you he's the nicest guy ever. (laughs) Probably. He was really nice. He was talking to me about his kids while we were making all the changes. coasters yeah <laughs> anyway so let's wrap this up then thank you for coming let's let you get your mm. wife out of here she thank looks bored out of her mind <laughs> yeah no I'll, I'll take her out to the, the outlet malls now and uh, everything will be good oh you get to shop have fun <laughs> <laughs> right on you guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone peace